Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth, being broadcast from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm sitting across the desk from Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are allowing us to enter their homes this evening by radio. Now, Pastor Murphy, before we get to our topic tonight, we have two questions that have come in, and I'll give them to you in the order in which they came in. The first one came in on Saturday, and the question is, Pastor, are you saying that lobster and conch, as well as shrimp and pork, are now to be eaten by God's people? And this is in reference to a question that you were answering last week, and you were referencing that. Yeah, um, clearly the person who's asking this question must be a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, because they're the only church that I'm aware of currently that still holds to the Old Testament dietary laws and regulations. Uh, our contention is that from a biblical perspective, we're under new dispensation. We're under, not under law, we're under grace, and that there were certain practices under the Old Testament dispensation that has been completely um, um, foregone, um, obliterated. Uh, we're no longer under those uh, those principles, uh, for example, the dietary laws of Israel, uh, that was part of the Old Testament economy. Uh, we believe that that was nailed to the cross along with the ceremonial laws. And uh, if you come to the New Testament, you find that there's a different principle to guide the believer in respect to these matters about eating meats and etc. I will draw your attention to several of them. One is First Timothy chapter 4, uh, which reads, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. Uh, clearly, that is a very broad biblical verse, and the text would be indicating that uh, the, the, there's no longer the restriction that was there under the Old Testament economy. The reference to that was? Uh, that was First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. Okay. And then when you come to Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 16 and following, let me just find it here. Um, it says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Um, you want me to read it? Uh, I got it. Okay. Just try to find it. 2.16. It reads, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. They are shadow things to come, but the body of Christ. Clearly, these were things that were temporarily put in place uh, and they were not the substance, they were foreshadowing things to come. For example, all the dietary laws in the Old Testament and all the laws relating to agriculture, 
uh, had to do with the teaching is with the concept of separation. It has to do with uh, the clean from the unclean, the holy from the unholy. Uh, it was designed to set a pattern for them to understand that as God's holy people, they should be separate from the nations. Now, we would not say that Christians need to be separate from uh, different races today or different nations today because Christianity embraces uh, all that comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But under the Old Testament economy, uh, the Israel was supposed to separate from the different nations because they had a distinct purpose of being the uh, centrifugal force to bring centrifugal force to bring people into the Lord. Uh, but those laws clearly are, are no longer applicable. They were shadow of things to come, the substance of come, which is Christ, and therefore we're not supposed to let people judge us in regards to these matters. And there's another very good one in the book of Romans. You can read this one for me, but Nathan. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Uh, verse. Start at verse number 2, Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 2? Yeah. For one believeth that he may eat all things... Another who is weak eateth herbs. Stop there for just a moment. Because a person understands what Christ has done and what his work on the cross has accomplished, and that we're not under under the, the covenant of law, but under the covenant of grace, and that these dietary laws no longer apply, the believer now understands clearly that he now has the right to eat all things. There's no restriction any longer. But notice that he is a strong believer. The point is, the guy that feels good to know he can only eat vegetables, he's the weak believer. Notice that very carefully. Go ahead. Let not him that eateth despiseth him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Uh, here again, notice the, the, the principle. Uh, because I hold to the Old Testament dietary laws, I must not impose that and judge the believer now who believes he has the freedom in Christ to partake of things that were restricted on the Old Testament economy. Go ahead. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, ye shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Verse 6. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Again, you notice it's about the believer's relationship with God. Uh, it's not about any imposition of any dietary regulations. As a believer, participate. I can eat conch, I can eat shrimp, I can eat lobster to the glory of God. I can thank God for what he's provided. And I must not be judged because somebody thinks that the Old Testament economy is still in, in place. That's the problem with Adventism. Adventism does not really understand the two covenant concepts and the carry over one into the other. We are under a new economy called grace, and that uh, we now have liberty and freedom that we didn't have under the Old Testament economy. And this is what was the problem in the New Testament church. There were still people, Judaizers, who were still holding the Old Testament law. You had believers who fully understood that Christ had set us free. Summary law had done away. Dietary laws had done away. And now we're in a new order of grace. 
and that was creating even problems within the New Testament church. And Paul had to write these epistles to clarify. Uh, look, you, you may feel that you can observe a certain day. The other guy feels that every day must be served unto the Lord. Don't judge him. It's a matter between him and God. This is a personal matter. Same thing with meat, etc. Uh, continue reading the other part there, please. Yeah. Verse 7 says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose, and revived that he might be the Lord both of the dead and living. But why doest, why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, So then every one of us giveth an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's no, way. Verse 14 is key. Verse 14 says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. I don't think there's a stronger passage in Scripture that gives you Paul's liberated concept of uh, these things. Uh, nothing, Paul says, is unclean in itself. Clearly under the Old Testament, God instituted this particular dietary regulations to uh, teach Israel to maintain her distinction from the nations around them. And that was not only applied to the dietary laws, but you take the matter of clothing. You could not add like silk and cotton together. You could not plant uh, certain types of plants with other types of plants even in a garden. <laughs> Again, and that is no longer um, something that is binding on the church or binding on believers any longer. Uh, all of that has been nailed to the cross, and uh, so there's no need for us uh, today to be held to these strict dietary laws. But again, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you are a legalist. And what I mean by that, you don't understand the Christian concept of liberty, and you try to impose the legalistic code of the Old Testament on the believer today. And when you do that, you are no longer practicing grace. You are actually, um, uh, in a very way, in conflict with what the Bible teaches in regard to these matters. You're listening to That's Truth, the name of the program, and it is a live call-in program. We would love to have your interaction. Thank you to the individual who sent that question in, a very thoughtful question, and it's been, Pastor has been answering it from Scripture. Go ahead, Pastor. Yeah, there's another passage I think is very significant, um, uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 15. Uh, our Lord said to them, there's nothing from without a man that enters into him that can defile him. But the thing which comes out of him, those are they that defile the man. If a man, uh, if any have ears to hear, let him hear. And, uh, and when he had entered into the house uh, from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into man, it, cometh, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out uh, into the drought purging uh, all meats. 
And he said, that which comes out of the man is that which defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed these things. He makes a clear distinction between something you eat, it goes to the belly, it comes out, uh, you defecate it, etc. And that doesn't defile the man. All, of course, under the Old Testament economy, if the Israel violated those dietary laws, they were defiled. But it's very clearly teaching here that uh, our Lord is teaching that that order has changed. And what really is about defilement is the heart. It's not the food any longer, the belly any longer. It's about the heart that, that God looks at. Uh, so even our Lord himself is teaching indirectly that in, in, in very in, in, with clarity that it's not the food that goes into a man's mouth that defiles him. It's actually what comes out of his heart. And he, he talks about the things that come out of the heart. Um, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil lie, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. I wish that sometimes people would concentrate on these type of things, which are the big issues, rather than get wrapped up with whether a person should eat a lobster or eat a crab. To my mind, it's like um, uh, straining at the gnat and swallowing a camel. Uh, it's just uh, priorities are wrong. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. Or if you would like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can do that. You can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 744. Pastor, did you have anything else you want to mention on that question before we go on? No, I think, I think uh, I mean, the other passage you could look at, you could look at Acts chapter 11. There's a clear principle there thought to Peter when Peter saw the, uh, had the vision and he had a sheet and he had all kinds of creeping unclean and said, I've never eaten anything unclean. The Lord said, what I've cleaned, call thou not unclean. I think there's a principle there. Of course, that passage referring to people there were certain unclean people, like the Gentiles, they're no longer unclean if they come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the principle is the same, that the certain meat speeders said, I never eat. God said, you can partake of that now. Uh, I think that's an, another passage that uh, is very helpful in trying to deal with this matter. What made the difference that the meat was not okay to eat in the Old Testament time, but it was in the time of Peter? Was it the death of Christ, or what magically happened there? Well, what what the Bible teaches, according to Colossians, that these things were nailed to the cross. They were shadows. The substance has come. Everything in the Old Testament was a picture of Christ in some way, and the picture of what was involved in his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, clearly, uh, when you come to the Old Testament, the idea was that God's people were separate from people who were not Christians, the pagans. The idea was that there must be a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. Uh, and that is why God laid down certain regulations that related to the diet, to the dress. Almost every aspect of Israel's life was to remind them again and again, you're supposed to be separate. You're supposed to be separate. You're supposed to be distinct. That was the whole purpose of uh, design for that. But now in Christ, according to Ephesians, God is now taken out of the Jews and out of the Gentiles and creating something called the church, breaking down the middle wall of partition. So those regulations that were designed to emphasize this concept of separation for the different nations is no longer applicable. It served its purpose, and it, we need to move on from there. Pastor, we have another question that has come in from a listener in Anguilla. Thank you to the individual who sent this in. Pastor, is, are there any gray areas when it comes to the Word of God? Well, I think, I think to be very honest with you, I do feel that there are areas that um, 
believers have disputed for for centuries. Um, for example, the one we discussed uh, somewhat, and we're going to get into more detail eventually dealing with alcoholism. Uh, alcohol, that uh, I think there's a little dispute as to whether or not a person can use wine. And there are some Christians that feel that believers should never touch wine. Uh, again, but you have passages in Scripture uh, that would indicate that uh, wine is a blessing. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that the word joy uh, is often, often linked with the use of wine and the joy that the Lord will bring. So I think there are questions of that nature. So that is a gray area. Uh, of course, it can be clarified somewhat when we understand that the content, the alcoholic content in wine then is far different than it is today. But still, that's a gray area that people still dispute. Uh, for example, another gray area is about dress. What is modesty? Uh, you know, I have my concept of what modesty is, and I think my concept of modesty is defined in Scripture. But you meet believers who, who have a different concept of modesty. They, they agree that we should be modest. But what exactly is modesty? Uh, I think that's a gray area as well. And then the matter of separation. How far do you separate from, 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 from churches, from individuals, from believers? Uh, the Bible gives us certain guidelines about uh, separation in respect to what we should do even to separate from a brother. Uh, but what about separating from certain churches in terms of their doctrinal uh, beliefs, etc.? That also is a gray area. There are some people who think that certain doctrines, while we still differ on these matters, is not a major doctrine that we need to press so that we can't have fellowship with a, a church or a group of churches. Fundamentalism, by the way, those of you who are familiar with the history of fundamentalism, was never a Baptist movement exclusively. It was made up of Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, Episcopalians, Baptists, uh, Lutherans. There were men who held to the fundamentals of the faith, who when they were faced with the attack against the Bible and the undermining of Scripture and its infallibility, they came together and decided that these are the core fundamental beliefs that all believers should hold to. And so they were willing to forego some of the other uh, uh, beliefs that were not um, that fundamental in the interest of fighting a battle against apostasy. So, uh, but again, how far do you go? Is another, and then church polity. Yeah. Uh, it's another, another big issue. You know, you've got the Presbyterians, you've got the Episcopalians, you've got the Baptists, you've got the Congregationalists, you've got the Pentecostals, how they run the church. There's no, uh, every, every group seems to hold some, uh, they think that they see their particular model in the scriptures. For example, eldership has become a big issue in recent times, uh, pushed by the Reformed uh, group. Uh, they believe in plurality of elders within a church. Uh, they do have deacons, but they have a plurality of elders. I would suggest to you that any time you go into the, uh, the Bible, any church that's addressed to is always addressed to uh, the elders. is never a singular individual, really, within the, the church. It's always the more than one person who was the elder within it. So that has created a, a debate today. And then another thing I think is, is uh, somewhat great here is music. What is, what is spiritual music? What is, what is godly music? The Bible talks about uh, spiritual songs. What does that mean? Uh, so I think that there are several areas that are gray, now, when it comes to doctrinal issues, I don't think there's any dispute that there are certain clear biblical doctrines in the Bible that we must lay down our life for. 
the infallibility of the scriptures, the inspiration of the Bible, the death of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the virgin birth, his resurrection, uh, his atonement, his vicarious death. These are not matters to dispute. But there are areas that uh, today remain um, where people have issues over and it creates division within the body of Christ. I don't know how to solve that problem, uh, but it is a reality, and I think that um, we need to be aware of it and um, use the best interpretation that we have and uh, apply the scriptures as far as your individual church is concerned. Thank you for sending in that question from Anguilla. And if you'd like a further discussion on the topic of some of those Christian gray areas, go to Google and look up That's Truth podcast and look for episode 34. And we did a whole uh, session on Christian gray areas. Again, if you go to Google or your favorite iTunes prov- uh, podcast provider, whether it be iTunes podcast or Google podcast, and just search for That's Truth podcast and look for episode 34. It is entitled Christian Gray Areas. We have each of the previous episodes is cataloged. And you can go back and uh, listen. You can share it with your friends. Uh, For those who are numbers people, tonight's episode is the 74th episode of That's Truth. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, or maybe you have a topic that you would like us to discuss in a future episode, give us a call, 1-268-462-7420, or you can send your question or your topic to what or via WhatsApp or text message to us send it via 1268-782-1454 WhatsApp or text 1268-782-1454 now our topic tonight is one that has affected many families many individuals and I would venture a guess pastor that Just about everyone who is listening tonight, including you and me, has known at least one person who has been affected by illicit drugs. Whether it has devastated their life or not, or whether it just has become an addiction, or whether it was something that they were toying with. Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a family member, maybe a co-worker, maybe an acquaintance. We're going to continue our topic this evening on drugs. Yeah, let me just uh, interject here, Brother Nathan. I I personally have seen the effects of um, marijuana in my own family. I have a brother who started using this stuff when he was about 14 or 15. He's the youngest brother in my family. Uh, But he he looks like 100 years if you were to see him today. Mm. I've seen him, his whole character, his whole personality has changed. Um, uh, he, his, it has so devastated him and so devastated the family um, that I, I can't the pain is there and I can sympathize with the people uh, who've been through this kind of thing when people talk the nonsense that marijuana is not a harmless drug it's, it's, uh, it's not dangerous I, I can't uh, I who have seen it in my brother's own life and then I, I don't you have to go far I, I see these guys on the streets and I am wondering, are they eating? Uh, how are they walking? 
their their whole character is is on becoming. It's not something that's attractive, and I don't know why it is that people just can't see that the tremendous transformational change for the for the worse that takes place. I would suggest that any person who's listening now. Uh, who is aware of anybody who's been on, on, on marijuana or these drugs for a period of time, you look at what they look like now and what they used to look like before and how they used to act. And I would find it difficult for anybody to suggest that it has not been detrimental in terms of the, the total outward appearance of the person, the total deterioration of personality, and the whole change of character in that person's life. I think... Uh, we have many walking examples of that in this country, and one doesn't have to go far to see the detrimental effects of this drug. But I've had first-hand experience in terms of my own brother, and I grieved over the fact that he is so brainwashed and um, his mind is so mesmerized, as it were, that uh, he doesn't even seem to understand uh, what it has done in terms of his whole personal deterioration and his whole personal appearance. Uh, he's living in a fantasy world of delusion, and I have tried to reach out to him in practical ways, but the impact uh, is not there because this thing has pretty much cooked his brain and, uh, as it were, um, uh, scarred his memory and his thoughts so that it's so ingrained in him now to, to bring about that change. It will take a, a very long time to do that. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.56, and we are discussing illicit drugs. Um, our scope of our discussion tonight is broader than just marijuana, as Pastor was mentioning. It is many different types of drugs. Pastor, what are some of those types of drugs? Okay. That uh, let me I'm gonna come to that shortly, Nathan, but I would like to uh, give the audience some statistics because... One of the problems we have we have in the Caribbean is a paucity of statistics. There's no place you can go to to find out how what's the prevalence of the problem in the schools. How many four farmers or fifth farmers or primary school students are using drugs in the school? We don't have that information. Uh, what's the you know? So we're really difficult to um, discuss a topic of this nature without having, as the Attorney General talks about factual scientific data. I do feel that something needs to be done. Uh, and I think that probably I am going to try to, I've been thinking about it, and probably we will try to see if we can do it both in the schools, from our angle of the church, and from within the churches as well, not only dealing with drugs, but dealing with other aspects. But I do feel that we need the information. But to give you a, a broad idea, uh, and by the way, you know, we're very much like America. So if something has happened in America and the frequency is there, chances are it's going to get down here within a few years. So I think if I can draw the attention to the statistics in the U.S., it might help the viewers to understand how, how serious a problem we have here. Uh, for example, uh, take senior high school uh, users of drugs in America. Okay, 93% of them use alcohol. 27% use stimulants. 16% use cocaine. Uh... 14% use sedatives and barbiturates. 14% use uh, inhalants. 13% use tranquilizers. 10% use opiates. And 9% use uh, um, LSD. I'm not want to deal with alcohol because we're going to deal with that another time. Here's some other statistics. 
one out of every ten, ten high school student, seniors use marijuana on a daily basis in America. Okay, one out of ten. One of every six high school seniors has tried cocaine or crack. Every day in the U.S., 500 adolescents are beginning to use drugs every single day. 500 are being added to the list. 80% of the entire population will try an illicit drug of some kind before their mid-20s. Two out of every three American uh, ch children will use illicit drugs before high school graduation. And uh, Gallup poll says the average age at which children uh, first try alcohol or marijuana is 12 years old. That's the average age. Wow. Uh, you, think, you think about that for just a moment. And uh, you try to transfer that data uh, within the context of the Caribbean. Because I think that um, we're in real serious trouble uh, if you were to take that, that kind of a comparison and use it. Of course, it cannot be fully applied but the trend is clearly there, and I think it gives you an indication of how serious the problem is, uh, not only in America, but in the Caribbean. Those it are is some a sobering statistics. Problem. Yeah. Uh, Pastor, we have a caller from St. Kitts. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yeah. I was asking Pastor Murphy, yes. when the Bible says that um, a man must put his first love over, what the Bible mean by mean by that? Um, and also, a man being baptized from from being a born again believer, and he come back to Christ, is he supposed to be baptized over again? I, I didn't get your first question. What was your first question? Okay, I was asking. The first question is, what when the Bible says a man must do his first work over again? Uh -huh. Okay, if a man must do his one man, what do you mean by a man must do his first work okay, over? Okay, that's it. That's one. it. Okay. And the other question. Is that um, when the man, if someone being backslidden from being a Christian, uh -huh. born again believer, and he come back to God, uh -huh. um, is he supposed to be rebaptized re again? Yeah. Let me. I'm taking the first question. Do your first works. That got to be in Revelations chapter three, and that had to do when you've lost your first love. And the Lord's uh, in trying to chide them for losing his first love, and then he says, part of the solution. Part of the solution to the problem is to do your first works. Um, again, the if you read the, the context in, in, in um, Revelation chapter 3, I think it's the church of Ephesus, I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, it's talking about a person who had tremendous zeal for God. Now they've become very, very, very lukewarm, and they've lost their first love. And all that is saying to that person, part of your restoration to the Lord and to the favor of grace is that you should now begin to uh, do what you used to. For example, a lot of us, when we first got saved, we were zealous for the Lord. We used to read our Bible, used to pray, we used to witness, we used to come to church. Those were the way that we manifested our great love for the Lord. And I think that is, when you now have... Um, gone away from the Lord, you become lukewarm, and the question is now, how do I restore that? The, the, the Lord is saying to you very basically that those are the first things that demonstrated your love. So return to those things. Return to going back into the Word, reading the Word on a daily basis. Return to interceding to God in prayer on a daily basis. Return to sharing your faith with others. Uh, this is part of the means of restoring that relationship and renewing uh, your love for Him. Because that's how you showed your love when you first came to Him. 
and that was the first fruit of your conversion, and that now needs to be restored. And I think you would agree with me that any believer who is in a lukewarm position or any believer who has gone away from the love of God, those four things in particular are key uh, to coming back to a right relation with God. Because part of the problem why we move away from Him is that we, fo- we no longer read the Bible, we no longer pray, we no longer witness, and and a great extent, we don't attend the, the church. Remember, the church is not founded by man, it's founded by God, and we must not forsake the assembling ourselves together. So these are four ways that we originally showed our love to Him. Now, there might have been something else you might want to add to that, that uh, really led you in terms, it might be meditating, that you would spend some time meditating on the Word. But whatever it was that demonstrated your, your love initially for the Lord, our Lord has asked you to return to those things. That's what He wants from you. People are looking for some things extraordinary, but those basic things that uh, if we were to do those things, it would rekindle our love for Him, get into the Word, prayer, sharing our faith, etc. The next question about backsliding. If a person is truly born again and a person is saved and a person backslides and goes away from the Lord and he returns, there's no need for a rebaptism. People who are to be baptized are people who are lost and come to faith and trust in Christ. But if you're already a believer, uh, why would you now need to be uh, uh, to be rebaptized? Chastening is what God does to the believer who backslides from Him. Read the book of uh, Corinth, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. If you are a child of God and you go away from Him, um, the Lord is going to deal with you. And there are several ways that He deals with you. Uh, there are times when He would send somebody uh, to give you a message. There's sometimes when you hear the word and there will be some kind of rebuke. Uh, there are times when God will use the word to, to prick your conscience and bring you under conviction. All of that is God using uh, the Holy Spirit and using individuals to bring you back to himself. If you don't respond uh, to God speaking to you in kind ways, and using the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in your life through the Word and through other people, then His hand of chastening comes, severe chastening comes. And that comes in different forms. It could be a sickness, it could be a loss of job, it could be family relations begin to break down. Uh, but it's a chastening on you so that it gets the message that you're on the wrong track, you need to bring yourself back in lane. So God will chasten you. And by the way, if you are in a backsliding state, and you've been in a, in a prolonged uh, level of being backslidden, and there's no chastening, I would suggest to you to check your life. The Bible says if we don't get chastening, we are not children, we are bastards. That means that we're illegitimate children. We are claiming to be His, but we are not truly His. And this is one of the clearest signs that a person is truly saved, that when he's gone away from God, that God's hand is heavy upon him and chased to bring him back. The Lord, the Bible says a righteous man would fall down, I forgot, seven times, the Lord would raise him up. So, but then if there's chastening and the person doesn't respond to the chastening, well, I want to say to you that I believe in something where God will take you out. And what I mean by that, there's a sin unto death. And I believe that some believers are prematurely taken out of this life because they would not respond to the chastening hand of God. And they've brought such reproach and disgrace to God's name that in the interest of God's glory, he removes that person. That person is not lost, but he will suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ. But there's no need. uh, I think the only church I know that if you were to be uh, your believer and your backslide, 
and you come back, you've got to be baptized again. It's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You would meet a Seventh-day Adventist who might have been baptized five or six or seven times or a dozen times because every time he's fallen away, he has to come back, he has to be baptized. Pastor, what if you had an individual in your church who had been baptized even in your church and then had backslidden, but now was coming back and just as a symbol of their dedication and kind of rededicating their life publicly to the Lord wanted to be rebaptized. What would be your thoughts? I probably, suppose somebody came to me and said, listen, Pastor, I made a decision many years ago. I got away from the Lord. Now I want to return. Suppose, you know, I'm not really sure. But now I've returned to the Lord. I've, you know, I've got my assurance. And I just want to, I would baptize him. Okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dispute that. I wouldn't debate that at all. Uh, and by the way, if they felt that they needed to do that in a private setting, I would still do it in a private setting because sometimes uh, it can be. It could create so much a furore of confusion yeah. in the church that you know that person, along with some friends, I I would do that. Um, I wouldn't have a problem doing uh, doing something like that. You're listening to That's Truth. We are glad that you are joining in with us on the discussion tonight. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can send your question to via WhatsApp or text to 1268-782-1454. If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, you can call 1-268-462-7420. Thank you very much for that call from St. Kitts. Thank you for the question from Anguilla earlier. And, Pastor, we have a question from Antigua. Bullying is becoming such a big issue in our schools. Do you think that drug use is associated with bullying? Bullying? Like being a bully. uh, Oh, bullying. Bullying. all I can say, as I would point out when later on in the program, when we talk about the effects of drugs, is that one of the effects of drugs, at least, is delinquency. And uh, I, I cannot say there's a direct correlation between the two, but I do know that when uh, people are on drugs and people oppose the use of drugs, uh, they can become very violent, uh, especially teenagers, because they don't want to be told that this is wrong. And um, a lot of delinquency, a lot of crime, for example, will point out to you that I'll give you the statistics that the amount of people arrested and the amount of people in jail, uh, that when they tested them, the amount of uh, illegal drugs they found in the system. So there's a correlation between the use of illegal drugs and and crime. But to link it directly with bullying, uh, I'm not too sure what the correlation is there. That is why I'm I'm glad that the, uh, the Attorney General has asked for some scientific data uh, quite frankly, I must tell you that I, I am being challenged myself to try to see if our church could try to see if we can get into the schools and do a kind of a, uh, a survey and then get with a statistician and see maybe do 10 or 15 schools and see how pervasive this thing using the laws of probability. But I think it is something that is worthwhile doing. But I also want to combine that with other, not just about drugs. I want to talk about pornography, find out what's the level of pornography in the schools, Mm -hmm. children who watch pornography, the involvement of sex. I want it to be all anonymous. So we have a real picture of what the problem is because we might be discussing something. We don't understand that we've got a tsunami that's about to engulf the whole whole country. So we need to get the, the, the data, and I hope that we can do that. And the other one I would like to do, but Nathan might not try to get off another point, is to do within the church. 
to find out the real spiritual state of the churches in Antigua by asking very simple questions. Do you read the Bible? Do you pray? How often do you pray? Uh, you know, questions. Uh, um, you, are you involved in the morality? And I want it to be anonymous, and I want people to be very honest, because if we don't have an anonymity, Right. They'll never give the information. And I don't want the church either name on any of the, the forms so that nobody will think, well, they can say it's, it's, it's Grace Baptist Church and there were 10 people who said that. I want it to be totally honest. I want honesty so that we can truly assess the spiritual condition of the church and also the moral and uh, the, the problem with drugs within the school. I think it is something that we need to do. And I think that the information ought to be out there really understand the severity of the problem. You mentioned pornography. Is pornography a drug? <laughs> I've heard the reason I ask yeah. is I've heard people say that uh, the addiction to pornography can be just as strong or stronger yeah. Yeah. than uh, well, it's not a cocaine. drug. It's not a drug, but the same areas of the mind that the drugs affect the drugs uh, are they're affected by pornography. I think we had a, a sermon by our youth pastor some time ago on the how it works on the mind. And I think you will discover that substantially the same areas of the mind that is affected by drugs to some extent is, is by pornography. It's all about pleasure and, and, and finding um, uh, relaxation and, and that kind of stuff like that. But it, it's not a drug. Clearly, it's not something you take. But the effect of it, you can become addicted to pornography just to get addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever. By the way, you can also get addicted to these, uh, these, these games. That's a, that's a major problem now in the States, uh, that people are adults, by the way. I just saw a, a thing that came into me on uh, Fox News. Uh, I get some um, uh, updates. They were making some kind of a, a, a film. I think it was the 007 film, uh, James Bond. And the guy who was supposed to be the producer was, was late because he was playing video games <laughs> I laugh when I read that but clearly he's addicted and there are many adult men I've spoken to wives already who told me that my wife my husband is up one and two o'clock in the morning playing silly games he wouldn't come to bed as a matter of fact I, I know of a family who completely lost respect the children lost respect for their father hmm. because of, of that uh, so they're very different forms of addiction but uh, it's not a drug it, it affects it similar Talking about drugs, what are some of the main categories or types of drugs? Well, the kind of drugs that uh, are often abused, um, you kind of define them, define them on the effect they have on the body. And basically, there are four main types. Uh, they're what you call the depressants. Uh, these are that these slow down the activity of the nervous system. Uh, that would include like alcohol, inhalants, glue, nail polish, remover, um, cleaning lick fluids people use, antifreeze, gasoline, uh, minor tranquilizers. All depressants are, are, are normally illegal, but the whole thing is to slow down the activity of the body and to uh, kind of calm you down. That's the whole purpose of depressants. The other type of drug is stimulants. Uh, these are to stimulate you. Uh, uh, sometimes they suppress your appetite. And they're supposed to ameliorate your depression to make you feel good. Uh, that's the purpose of these kind of drugs. This would include such drugs as caffeine, nicotine, as well as the illegal drugs like amphetamines, uh, cocaine, uh, methadrine, et cetera, et cetera. But they're really stimulants. Is it okay for a Christian to use caffeine? I know there are some who would stay away from that. I, I would say to a person as a matter of conscience, 
if it was deemed illegal in the country, I would suggest the Christians to obey the law. But uh, generally speaking, there's so many divergent opinions about it. Uh, I, I like tea, for example, and uh, tea has an element of caffeine in it as well. So I, I don't have a problem with it, but I think if a person's conscience bothered them, and they came to the point where they're convinced that it should not be used, uh, just like uh, Roman said, um, you know, don't use it. On the other hand, don't be so arrogant, and don't, be, uh, don't, don't pontificate, and because you think it is wrong, therefore it must be wrong for everybody, and then you judge everybody. I think this is one of those great areas that come under uh, that. And then there are uh, hallucinogens. These are mind-distorting drugs. Uh, they create altered perception, and these include drugs like uh, marijuana, LSD, mescaline. All the hallucinogens are illegal until recently we've legalized uh, uh, marijuana. And the other one is nicotines. I'm uh, sorry, narcotics. These are the painkillers. Uh, and they uh, relieve physical pain. These are like morphine, codeine, and heroin that people are having problems, the, the pain of life. And they would take this kind of stuff. So these are the four types, the depressants, the stimulants, the hallucinogens, and they're the narcotics. Um, these are the four different types of drugs that are generally used uh, illegally. How would you uh, how would you say that one of those is more serious than others? Yeah, the most pre- serious of those, of course, is the uh, the narcotics. But then the second major one is the has, uh, hallucinogens. The reason, the reason for that is they alter your mind and they alter your perception. And that's the problem with a drug like marijuana. You can imagine that you're driving and uh, you can imagine you're floating. And it could create a lot of accidents by the mayor. You should not be smoking marijuana and driving, to be very honest with you. You should not be smoking marijuana on top of a building either because you may have the idea that you can fly. <laughs> and you might fly and discover that the laws of gravity are much wiser than your mind. But uh, those drugs, any mind-altering drug at all, I warn people against those drugs because I've said this several times in the program, I might be repeating, God intended that your mind be engaged, that you have control of your mind. No one can read the epistles of Romans or read Philippians. I would suggest Philippians in particular, where they've got four different types of minds discovered there, that the emphasis is on the mind. Read Corinthians as well, chapter uh, 13, 14, has to do with tongues. Uh, people thinking that the excitement and the ecstasy of talking in tongues is much more superior. And Paul said, I would rather speak three words with my understanding than a thousand words in a language I don't understand. Paul is one that understood the importance of the mind. And I think that when people's minds are played with and you don't have any control of your mind, I've said this again, the door of your mind is open to demonic forces, now, I know that there are people who are listening who say that we're living in the dark ages. No, we're not living in the dark ages. You cannot read the Bible without believing that there are fallen angelic beings who are now demonic powers that are working against uh, this world system and also against uh, the church and the believer. And I do believe that a lot of these people who hear voices, they do hear voices, no question about it, but they are demonic powers that are influencing the mind. So... Uh, any mind-altering drug is something that we should desist from using and avoid using unless for some reason it's medically uh, authorized to be used for a limited purpose. I've seen a number of studies that warn about the more serious effects of drug use 
when they are started during adolescent years. How would you describe adolescent drug users, and would you categorize them at all or lump them all together? Well, it is, that's the problem with marijuana, by the way. Uh, it is known uh, it doesn't affect the adults as much as it affects the adolescent. Uh, but that's the problem. The people that are using it today in the schools are the adolescents. These are the ones where the teachers are saying they don't concentrate. They can't, they can't concentrate because the drug actually affects the way you think. Uh, your reasoning capacity is, is lost. Your capacity to think and uh, to, to, to uh, focus is, is gone. So and, uh, the, 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 the mind, the brain itself is affected in adolescent years by the drug. It does affect the brain. So it's not, you know, the adults can talk all they want to. They're over that stage. But while the brain, the adolescent brain is being developed and the marijuana drug is a negative in terms of the brain development for the uh, adolescent. So that's why we must make sure that we don't allow this thing to be universally used within any country by adolescents because it's a mind-altering drug. Would you say that there's different degrees of usage or different types of drug users? Yeah, there, there are different types of people who use different drugs, and there are four classifications that are often used. Uh, one of them, they call the, the person the experimenter. This is a person who experiments with drug, uh, maybe up to four, time, four or five times in order to gain some kind of acceptance or to be in the know. At least I, I know what this is about. Um, but this is a very short-term use. They're just trying to see uh, what it's like and be able to say, yeah, I, I had that, I tasted that, I know what it's like. That's the experimenter. He's not a serious drug user, but he just wants to find out what the drug is all about. And is that okay to do? I, I, I would uh, not recommend it at all uh, because the effect sometimes of the first use of it, it can create a craving for the drug and anybody will tell you that's why the first two joints are three is normally given to you free you don't normally mm-hmm. pay for the first two joints because they want to get you hooked mm-hmm. once you've had the experience and you had a high you want to keep having the same high you've had at first the problem with that is your body begins to build up a resistance so it takes more marijuana now to give you the high that you had at the first time but you keep trying to find that same high that was so unusual, a burst as it were and now you keep trying to get it back again and get it back again and get it back so you get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper it's like if you don't take the first drink you never become an alcoholic if you never take the first drug or the first marijuana spliff you never become a drug addict stay away from drugs period but that's the experimenter and then there's the person who's called the reactionist user Uh, he uses a drug to share the pleasurable experience of being with friends He's not using it for uh, the mental mood effect it's going to have. In other words, the friends are socializing, and just the pleasure of being there, uh, he just uses the drug. Then there's the seeker. Uh, This is a guy who seeks an altered state of consciousness, and he frequently uh, tries to become intoxicated or sedated, but his whole purpose is to have this, uh, this mind change uh, he's seeking to have this this higher consciousness and to have an altered state of mind. And then the other guy is a drug head. I don't have to tell you who the drug head is. Uh, he's a guy that uses drugs on a regular basis, and uh, he normally moves from one drug to another. He starts out with an uh, uh, entry drug like marijuana, uh, uh, which opens a door. And sometimes when people are using marijuana, especially if with that crowd, 
uh, the guy adds a little cocaine to your spliff. You don't even know he's giving you the cocaine. And, and then, of course, it can lead to heroin. But he becomes an addict, and he begins to show all kind of interpersonal problems. So the experimenter, the person who's a reactionist, and then the seeker, and then the drug head. But notice, you only become the drug head when you go through those stages. And you've got to be very careful that you avoid uh, trying to find out for yourself. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that people make, Nathan, that why we should be learning from the experience of others, we repeat the mistakes of others. And the reason why the Bible is written is that we don't make the mistakes. I don't have to get involved in uh, uh, adultery or fornication to find out what, is, what it is like. I can learn from what the Bible says on these matters, and I can learn from those who have been through the experience. Uh, but the problem today is that uh, rather than people being willing to submit to the authority of Scripture, uh, they want to go their own way. And modern man is a rebel at heart. He's in pursuit of finding his own destiny and getting his own experiences. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can call and be put live on the air, one 462 7420 Or you can send your question via WhatsApp or text to one 268 782 1454. Pastor, you were talking about adolescent usage of drugs. Would you ever feel that it's appropriate for a parent or a guardian or an employer to have a drug test done on a child? I know of one business here that it's a requirement that you get a drug test before you get employed. In America, that has happened a lot, by the way. Uh, if you work in machines, for example, you have to do tests. Uh, as far as children are concerned, let me suggest a method. I do feel because of the prevalence of the problem today, and children, uh, drug users, by the way, are expert liars, and they're great manipulators. Uh, so when a guy tells you he's not on drugs or a girl tells you he's not on drugs, you can't take it on first value because they have become con artists in terms of doing everything to uh, disprove that they're not using the drug. I would suggest to parents a uh, very simple method. Try at a very early age uh, to maybe start taking your child to the doctor once a year for checkup. And let part of that checkup be a urine test. Okay? The child doesn't even know what you're doing. So it's a standard procedure that when you take him to the doctor, he, you want the doctor to take a urine test. Then you can get the doctor to take, take that urine test and find out if there's use. You don't have to even tell the guy, but he doesn't know. He just figured it's a normal test. But uh, clearly, I think that's a one thing I would advise to parents, especially the child is now in primary school, once a year, general tests. But let the urine be tested, and then you can ask the doctor to test for, for drugs, et cetera, in the, in the, in the urine, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's a very subtle way of dealing with it without having to harass the child when he's 14 or 15 or 16 and say, I'm taking the doctor there and I want to get a drug test. It will become a normal procedure from an early age, once a year, you're going to get a test, and part of that test is the urine test. I think it much, much easier. But I, I would advise a parent, if they suspect that their child is using drugs, I would recommend that they do get the child tested. Because the, the sooner you nip this problem in the bud, the better it is for your child. And by the way, parents are living in a world of make-belief. They 
hate to admit or to face the fact that the child might be using drugs. So they bury the head in the sand, pretend the problem is not there, and then when 18 or 19, and they thought the child would be using from 12 years old. Now, they could have had intervention very early, but because of the want to save face or embarrassment, uh, they refuse to do the test. I would recommend strongly that people do that. Pastor, we have a caller from St. John's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Good evening, nice sir. Nice program. Good information. Thank um, you. My question is, why God created marijuana? You, you want me to answer that? Yes. God created everything for purpose. Marijuana has a purpose. There's no question about that. That is why they're finding medicinal use of marijuana. And I think we ought to be recognized that it does have medicinal purposes. Nobody disputes that. But the THC that is giving you the high has no medicinal purpose. All it does is give you the high. So you can actually take, you can actually take THC and get that. Can be, you can actually buy a bottle of that. It can be separated and, and synthesized. But the problem with the marijuana use is that the, every ingredient in the marijuana ha, uh, doesn't have medicinal purpose. And that's why you have medical professionals who go to school and study for seven years and then spend another five or seven years doing research to find out the effects of these things on, on us. We can't do it ourselves. And that is why we ought to listen. And let me just say this. I've said this on the radio, and I'm not trying to tear down doctors and so on because that's not my intention. But I really feel they've done a dereliction of duty by not addressing these kind of drug problems in a very professional way because I can't answer some of the questions that a doctor can answer. I'm not a medical doctor. But I really feel that their authority, their knowledge would go a long way straighten out this whole marijuana use because all we're hearing about is the medicinal use of marijuana and that has emboldened young people to believe they can just take the drug it's good for them which is not true that's absolutely not true and I think we've done a disservice to the young people uh, by going in that direction if we were to if we were to let them know what are the real dangers of the drug and the bad effects of it it's not a harmless drug uh, it's a drug that is very dangerous, but that is not conveyed uh, on the media or conveyed on the television whenever you hear it. But I do feel that I wish we had some Christian doctors that would really, really do a service to Antiguan public by coming on the air and dealing with this matter, really explaining the, the effects, because there's a lot of research being done on this matter, by the way. I can quote so many research documents that have indicated the negative effect of using marijuana. Uh, and when we begin to deal with the effects of marijuana sometime, maybe next week on the program, I will point out this is research. This is not speculation. But if that information is available to me, who's a non-doctor, certainly medical doctors have many different ways of getting information and research data that they can share with the public. But I really wish with all my heart that uh, some of these medical people would really understand that we're in a war that if we don't win this war, we're going to lose the minds of young people and we're going to lose a whole generation. That's, go up to the mental asylum, by the way, the psychiatric hospital. I've been up there. I've been up there because the government doesn't have any place for people who are on drugs and people who are psychiatrically ill. And there are people up there uh, who are mixed. And if you were to talk to some of the nurses, I've spoken to one nurse up there, I haven't spoken to many of them, but a lot of the cases, most of the cases, the majority of the cases up there is about drug use. And I, I just don't know why we are 
taking this thing so casually and so nonchalantly. We're not learning from what is going on in Jamaica with the Ganja babies. We're not seeing the, these fellows on the streets that we wonder if they came out of a cave somewhere. They don't even understand that they are completely emaciated. Uh, if they think they look good, they need to have a different mirror. I can't, I mean, I can't understand it. And I think that the doctors have done a great disservice by not dealing with this matter in a more forthright way, and truthful way, by the way, uh, because we know you get a bad reaction. Would the poppy seed be similar? Why did God create the poppy seed? Because it can be used to make opium, but yet it is used to make opioid painkillers, which have... Same thing with snake, but you take, yeah, take venom. Okay. You know, venom is used as an antidote. I didn't know that. Yeah, the the venom of that's why they extract poisons from the the, the rattlesnake. You never saw them yes, extracted, right? right yeah. They take because it has a medicinal use. But who decides that? The average guy who has no medical education, he's never been to medical school, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. And the problem is, you've got people who have a vested interest in the production of marijuana and get the, everybody hooked on marijuana. And uh, normally it's a monetary interest in the long term, by the way. And, and the Bible says the root of the love of money is the root of all evil. Whether that be crack, cocaine, heroin, whether it be, be um, um, opium, whatever it is, it's all end up about money ultimately. And we're sacrificing young lives uh, out of gain and for filthy lucre. Pastor, I came across the phrase pathological use substance abuse. Any thoughts as to what that's referencing? Well, the, the word pathology has to do with disease, basically. It has to do with something that is hurtful to the body. So when it talks about uh, the pathological effect on, of, 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 of different substances, it's talking about uh, drugs, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there are two forms of substance abuse. One is called psychoactive substance abuse. The other one is called psychoactive substance dependence. Uh, and there are two different things. But it has to do with using a drug, and when you use a drug, it somehow impairs your um, your social or your occupational or your functional aspect of your life. So when it's all pathological, it affects you negatively. It affects either your, how you act, interact socially, it affects you how you, uh, your occupation, you can't function in your kind of job that you're doing, and then it also affects you psychologically where you become dependent and you need a drug like alcoholism. So that's why they use that particular term, pathology. Uh, but um, when it comes to the um, psycho, uh, psychoactive substance d- dependence. Um, there are certain marks that tells you whether a person is um, psychoactively dependent on a drug or not. And uh, normally, there's a list of um, symptoms. And if you are, if any of these three symptoms are in your life you are psychoactively dependent on the drug. Uh, Let me just list some of them for you. A person who uses more of the substance or uses it for a longer time than intended, that's one of the signs. You begin to see that's true. Using more and more than you depend, that's one of the things. If you do any three of these things of true of you, you are psychoactively dependent on the drug. Number two, the person recognizes the excessive use of the substance and may have tried to reduce it, but is unable to do so. So now you know it's bad for you, but you're now dependent upon it. That's another thing that you are psychoactively dependent. 
much of the person's time is spent in an effort to obtain the substance. So you are in proof of the substance, uh, and you uh, and, and uh, so most of your time is spent either getting going after it or trying to recover from it. Again, that's the third. But there are about thirteen of them. But if any three of them are true of you, you are psychoactively dependent on that drug. That's why they use that particular term. Um, let me give it two more. The person is intoxicated or suffering from withdrawal symptoms at times uh, when responsibilities are needed and he can't fulfill his work, his responsibility both either at work or school because he's having withdrawal symptoms. Again, that's another s sign or a symptom that you are psychoactively dependent on the drug. I'll, I'll give you one more. Many activities are given up or reduced uh, in frequency because of the use of the substance. So you can't you can't you don't like soccer anymore you don't like cricket anymore because you just don't have the energy to do that anymore because the drug has taken over your life uh that that is five i have uh four more i could give you that uh that are they say that the symbols another one you're having problems in health or your social relationships and you can't psychologically function in those relationships. So you're having problems now with your wife, you're having problems with your girlfriend, you're having problems with your interaction with people, you're now beginning to have health issues, maybe you're having depression. Uh, now, by the way, the thing about depression that some people take drugs to get off of depression, but the same drug could make you more depressed. <laughs> so it has a dual effect. And then tolerance develops uh, requiring longer doses a 50% increase of the substance to produce a desired effect. So you're now taking 50% more than you were taking before to get the same effect you had before. That's another symptom. And then withdrawal symptoms develop when the person stops ingesting the substance in a reduced amount. So now you want to come off the drug, but the moment you start to take off the drug, you start to get withdrawal symptoms. That shows you that you're psychoactively dependent. So that is, and then the psychoactive substance abuse um, um, there's just one or two things that they say that you'll know that if you're abusing it. If you continue using it despite knowledge of having a persistent or you're having problems um, in your occupational life or you're having physical problems, it's causing you issues uh, and you keep on using it, that says that you're abusing the drug because it's bad for you, you're still taking it. And then if you have recurrent usage situation in which uh, they're physically hazardous, like driving a car, uh, and you know you should not be driving a car uh, under the use of, of, of marijuana, but in those situations, you still do it, even though you know it's dangerous for you. That is saying to you that you're abusing the drug. So you're psychoactively substance abuser, or you're psychoactively dependent. And those are basically the the uh, symptoms that are uh, give you an indication of which one of those you're actually in at the moment. You are listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone line is open, 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather not call and be put live on the air, I understand, and you can send your question via WhatsApp or text. Maybe it's not a question. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's a topic you'd like us to discuss. Maybe it's a concern about something that you've heard pastors say or that's been said on the radio. You can send your question via WhatsApp or text to 1-268-782-1454. And just a reminder, if you are joining us on Facebook Live, 
you can ask your question or share your thought along with the video feed and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. If you'd rather send your question via email, you can send it to CRL That's Truth at gmail.com. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 837. We have just over 20 minutes left in the program tonight. So hurry up and send in your question. Thank you to those of you who have interacted with us tonight. We've had some very good interactions, some very practical and good, thoughtful questions. Pastor, continuing our discussion on the topic of drugs, what are some of the general effects of drug use? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that when we begin to deal with uh, marijuana and cocaine and alcohol, we will come to the specific effects of those those drugs. But I think it's also helpful for the audience to be aware that there are certain general effects that they have long-term effects as well. Uh, let's talk about general things that happen when people use uh, illegal drugs. Let's talk some of the physical effects. Sometimes you, you get dry skin. It can affect your skin. Make your skin get dry. Sometimes, depending on what you're using, you get a chronic sore throat, uh, uh, burning in the throat. Your liver and your pancreas, uh, certain diseases, are a result of taking illegal drugs in respect to your liver function. You know, of course, alcohol causes sclerosis of the liver. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, of course, the pancreatic disease as well developed from the use of uh, that. And then leukemia, uh, surprising. Uh, a study by the National Cancer Institute on marijuana uh, said that if you use marijuana, it raises the risk of what is called non-lymphophic. Uh, uh, let me get the word here: non-lymphoblastic, uh, oh. non-lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, if you are using marijuana, it is eleven times more at risk of getting that kind of a disease than if you didn't use marijuana. Wow, uh, that's a shocker. Now I said, I don't think that the doctors are really talking about and by the way this is the um, I'm quoting here from the Cancer Institute on marijuana see so this is information that is common that doctors should have this information that really share with the public Um, heart attacks uh, a study by Dr. David Hill of Texas Southern Medical Center points out that even small amounts of cocaine can decrease blood flow to the heart increasing a heart attack I mean, the cocaine in Newton and Antigua understand that, that you are, you are in danger of a heart attack by the use of even small doses. And again, this is medical people who have done the research. Uh, infertility. Uh, a study found uh, fertility and st- uh, sterility, which is a, a journal, long-term use of cocaine is a major contributing fa- factor to infertility in men. Now, you don't hear that kind of information uh, in terms of on a regular basis, but that's why I think the public need to be informed. So if you are using cocaine and you find that you can't function as a male, whether you know it or not, you might be inadvertently put yourself in that position. But I, I suspect most men that want to be macho men, if they learn that fact, it would at least cause them to reconsider the use of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, tissue damage. Inhalants, for example, destroy your brain cells. We talked about inhalants before, smelling these things, etc. For example, take cocaine. 
Uh, cocaine is among the drugs that causes long-term lung damage, lungs damage, and leads to something called emphysema. Uh, again, I'm not too sure that people understand that. Uh, that is not something that is broadcasted on the radio, on television, as informed, but that's the use of cocaine. So you're damaging your lungs. And, uh, malnutrition. The use of certain drugs, uh, again, two of them I'll mention, cocaine and marijuana, results in loss of appetite, uh, where you result in poor nutrition. And by, by the way, you just look around you and see the guys who are on marijuana for a long period of time. They're like sticks. Uh, they are like, uh, I mean, they are hard. They are, they are I, I, all I can say to you that the whole demeanor, the facial features, all of that, they look much older than a guy who is their same age. And I don't know if they can't see it, but uh, that's why people who are in marijuana, for example, and cocaine, they don't, they don't eat well because the, the drug affects the desire for food and appetite. And then there are certain psychological effects. Uh, those were the physiological effects. And then they are taught generally that uh, affect those who abuse um, Let's talk, for example, that the feeling of guilt that these people feel. Now, I know that sometimes drug users give you a kind of a cavalier attitude that you know they're justified in what they're using, and they vehemently oppose anything that you say. And sometimes they can be very, very uh, belligerent if you try to say something wrong. But I am told uh, by those who have done the research that there are moments when these people are haunted by guilt. In other words, and by the way, that is in harmony with Scripture because God has implanted the conscience. And any time we do something contrary to our conscience, we know right from wrong. Uh, the un, there will be an unpleasant response, an inner unpleasant response because of some wrong act we've done. So they've got to deal with, with guilt, which is a psychological issue. And then shame is another problem. You feel shame uh, because when it's discovered that you're using marijuana or you're using cocaine or something, uh, it's a confession that there's some kind of inadequacy in you that has pushed you to do the drug, that you're not a normal person that to handle normal problems. And sometimes as well, you feel that you've embarrassed your family. and that So you've got to deal not only with guilt, you have to deal with that psychological effect of shame. Now imagine a man on a high and he has this sense of guilt and shame. Imagine how that is disproportionately blown up in his mind because his mind is expanding. Think of the effect that can have on him uh, going through that moment. And then, of course, remorse, feeling regret for the harm that you've done to somebody else, maybe to your family. Again, take all these three psychological things, you're going to a high, and these things begin to, to, to take hold of you. Imagine how that can affect a person. This, these kind of feelings would lead to one or two things. Sometimes it leads a person to repentance, and sometimes it leads a person to despair, where they just don't have motivation to go on. Another effect uh, of use of drugs, this, is, this might sound rather strange, but sexual activity is augmented and increased when people are involved in sex. Um, Researchers Elliott and Morse, the University of Chicago, have documented that a clear correlation between drug use among teenagers and teen sexual activity. In other words, increased sexual intercourse is consistently higher in those who use drugs and those who don't use drugs. Now that should be an alarm bell for uh, the politicians and the adults. 
that the increase of use in drugs is going to result in the increase in immorality. So we're going to have more teenage pregnancy. Uh, we're going to have more breakdown, uh, a moral breakdown in, 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 in society because of the clear link between the two. There's a correlation. And then dropping out of school. A study done by Jeffrey Fagan of Rogers University uh, established a clear, direct relationship between drug use and people who drop out of school. And what was fascinating in this one, but uh, Nathan, is that it had a greater effect on girls than it had on the boys in terms of dropping out. Uh, that was a very unusual because normally you think of the guys, but when it comes to uh, girls using drugs, they had a higher tendency to drop out than the guys did. Really? Yeah. From that is from the study from Jeffers and Fagan, Rutgers University. So that's another problem that you have dropouts when you have increased use of drugs. Uh, I have had people t in my conversation tell me that uh, there are young boys behind their fence when they should be in school and they're using marijuana and using that kind of thing. They can smell it, but they're afraid of reporting it because of the repercussions. I wonder how frequent that is uh, here in Antigua. And then um, the problem of behavior. Ralph and Barr identified something that they call ABCDS. And it's Adolescent Behavioral uh, chemical dependent syndrome that's the big term for it but what it means is that when the person is using drug the behavior behavioral changes as a result of the, the, the drug use and dependence on the drug lead them to behave a certain way and this is how they describe this uh, ABCDS uh, syndrome but it's called the adolescent behavioral chemical dependency syndrome it said it's marked by one increased defiance towards parents that is true any parent will tell you from the time the child starts to use drug his whole character changes you could talk to him before but now he's very angry anytime you use to use a drug uh, rejection of parental values uh, that's another uh, effect uh, and then decline in school achievement that is all a result of this ABCDS uh, syndrome. Now, another result is depression. Uh, Norbert Ralph and Ki Kimberly Ann Morgan uh, documented that there is a relationship between drug use and depression, that drugs can induce a mood and a change in the person so that they go through a severe, prolonged depression. Uh, some people use drugs to get out of depression, but in the long term, uh, drugs become a means of causing great depression. And then the other one, result, uh, another effect is suicide. And this is when a person becomes depressed and they come to a point of despair. They have suicidal thoughts. They threaten to commit suicide or, or whatever. Uh, a study done by uh, Medina, Wallace, Ralph, and Goldstein, uh, Goldstein showed that chemical abuse is a major contributing factor to adolescent mortality in respect to the whole matter of suicide. Uh, Peggy Manny in a, a marijuana report, uh, and I want to quote what she said. She says, suicide rates among teenagers have tripled in the last two decades, which coincides with the epidemic use of marijuana. The correlation between suicide among teenagers and the use of marijuana is very, very clear. And the other one, of course, the other effect is delinquency. Uh, drug use, breeds delinquency, and criminality. The Economist reported, for example, 
that two-thirds of the people arrested in large cities for felonies such as robbery tested positive for illegal drugs. And I'm told that half of the juveniles in prison are there for drug offenses. So it also creates the matter of delinquency. What kind of society do we want? Preferably not a delinquent one. <laughs> but this is where all of it is headed, and that's why uh, we've got to understand we have a major problem on our hand, and if we don't deal with this matter, we're looking for a real social upheaval in times to come. Uh, it frightens me to think uh, about what would happen in the next 10 decades if this trend continues and use of drugs continue. Uh, it is really, really frightening, and I hope that the research is done. I hope that the government understands how serious the problem is, and I sincerely hope that the doctors will start uh, really educating the public in the dangers of the use of this drug and uh, try to help them get a more balanced approach on this matter. Pastor, we have a text question that has come in from Nevis. Uh, if a woman is walking and a man realizes that she is not wearing a bra, should he tell her to go put one on or ignore it? I had this happen to me, and he told me, and I felt insulted because he is a Christian. I told him it's none of his business. What do you think, Pastor? <laughs> if I um, suppose I saw somebody in my church that was dressed improperly, I thought improperly, um, uh, I... It depends on if uh, the person. I, I, it depends on how I think they would respond. Um, I I don't know if it is proper to intervene in in those kind of matters or the private matters, but I think it has to do with relationships. I think if there was a brother in my church and he thought I was dressed in a pro improperly or, or something, and he came to me and said, "My brother, I don't want to get involved in your, uh, you know, all of us got preferences, but I'm a little bit concerned here about uh, the way you were dressing on Saturday or whatever," and uh, it offended me, and I thought I should let you know it offended you and uh, offended me, and I, I feel that other people might be offended too, and. I would just ask you kindly to revisit the way you dress and maybe get a different opinion to see if it impacted people the other way. Um, I can see a woman, if a man comes to her and he's clearly observing that she doesn't use, she has a horn or bra, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty bold move, to be very honest with you. I probably, if I had to want to do that, I would probably tell my wife and suggest to her uh, somewhere along the line, see if you can t talk to this lady and uh, just mention it to her. But as a man, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to approach her. I would rather go to another lady uh, in, in that direction. Uh, so I think he might have been off his bounds. But if he meant well, let's suppose he meant well, we all make mistakes. I wouldn't hold it against if he made it really, really, if you really feel he really meant well, I would just uh, see it as an act of discourtesy. And I would probably say to him, you know, brother, um, I would appre appreciate if you see anything in the future, this is how I would prefer that you approach me or this is how you deal with the problem. Maybe he's not mature enough. Maybe he means well. And all of us still are in this process of maturing. And sometimes we think we're doing good when in truth of fact, it may have the opposite impact. I think in your case, it was not a favorable response uh, because I don't think the way it was done was the proper way to do it. But even if that was not necessarily his place, uh, 
how should the response be? Do you just write a person off or do you acknowledge and keep that advice in mind, no, especially I, I, when dealing with a brother? Yeah, if you're a Christian and he's a Christian, I mean, how are you going to write the brother off? You might be offended and get angry with him, but it all has to do, I think we need to look at motive when it comes to those kind of situations. Is this brother genuinely concerned about my welfare and the impact my life may have? Uh, I've seen uh, I've seen people who've dressed very inappropriate myself. Uh, I've seen people that they wear the dress, even Christians. If you if they were to turn sideways, you can see right through the pitons. And yeah, for those who go to St. Lucia, know you got the two mountains. I'm talking about the mammary glands, basically. And I was I feel that that was inappropriate. Uh, I've seen uh, Christians who've got their cut way down where almost half the breast is out and half is in. I'm not sure which part is in, which part is out. I don't think that's appropriate. I've seen uh, Christians dress where the entire backside is so printed out with the tight pants they've got that I find it highly offensive. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they realize that um, men are attracted by sight. I have not intervened in those cases. There are cases when I've said to my wife, somewhere along the line, when you are talking to that person, you you know, try to build a relationship by the way. Don't just go to a person without a relationship, but let them know that you've got their best interest. Uh, if there's any way that you can kind of raise that indirectly, you do it. But I think it has come back to motive. And if I felt that the person who did something wrong in my part, but he meant for my welfare, I would say, brother, um, I don't appreciate the way that you uh, came about doing it, but I do appreciate your motive behind it, and I would consider it. And you know what? I would look at this thing again, and perhaps somebody else will draw this to my attention, but um, I wouldn't write the person off. Definitely not. Pastor, another question from Nevis. What does dark country mean spiritually? That's the I am not too sure myself. Um, I'm familiar with some some expressions, but I'm not too sure what that means. Uh, I would suspect, though, that it's talking about the dark world of uh, spirits and demons and maybe spiritual warfare, uh, people who are engaged in different activities that uh, are questionable, maybe the occult, uh, maybe uh, obey voodoo, black magic. That would be my interpretation of that word, but it's subject to change if I am corrected by anyone who has an idea and who knows how that word is used. I will check it up, by the way, afterwards to see if there's a better definition of it. But that's my thinking, that when you talk about the dark side, uh, normally has to do with the occult and, and demonic beings, etc. Another question from Nevis. If a man tells a woman his love can heal her soul because he is hearing it in his spirit, is it biblical? Can a man love a man's love heal your soul? I I think the guy is very romantic, uh, and I think he's a man with words and trying to uh, win your affection. Uh, the only person who hold your, hold your heal your soul is Christ, okay? Christ is the one who heals your soul, not a man. And try not to look for a man to bring you total fulfillment in life because no man can ever do that. The only one who can fill that void in your life is Christ. Uh, we need to look to him for abundant living, and we need to avoid trying to find our um, 
identity and our satisfaction in either a male companion or female companion. We're all imperfect human beings, and we can never meet in totality all the needs of each other's heart. Find your satisfaction in Christ, and of course, your partner should try to meet your legitimate needs, but he will never be able totally, 100% to meet all of your needs. And uh, it was never designed to be that way, otherwise he displaces God in your life. There is a role for him to play, but you can never find uh, meaning and purpose and satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. And especially when it comes to your soul, where it is damaged and it needs healing, uh, Christ can heal. The affection will help you as well in, along the way, but ultimately uh, your depth to your, your being, only Christ can reach that far and to really uh, heal you as a person. And one final question in the last minute. What is religious liberty? Religious liberty um, is the teaching that if there is not a specific reference in the Bible or a specific mandate in the Bible on a particular subject, that you probably ha- pretty much have the liberty to in- engage in it. Um, for example, uh, there are some things that are not specific in the Bible. The word smoking is not there. You can't find it in the Bible. There's no particular verse in the Bible that said, Thou shalt not smoke. There are people that, on the basis of that, uh, feel that they have the liberty to uh, to smoke. Uh, of course, there are other principles that would need to be brought to bear on a subject like that. But generally speaking, religious liberty is... Uh, take the matter we had today, meats. Uh, religious liberty is I have the freedom to eat whatever meat I feel like eating. I don't have to stick with the dietary laws of the Old Testament. I'm free in Christ. Those things have been nailed to the cross. That is religious liberty. Religious liberty is I being able to worship on Sunday, not on the Sabbath because somebody tells me I got to worship on the Sabbath. Paul said, let every man be fully persuaded. It is a freedom where there's not a clear mandate uh, in Scripture uh, to exercise to your conscience depending on your relationship with God. Thank you very much for your questions tonight. Thank you for those who called in. It was a very interactive night, and that's what the program is all about. We will continue this topic of drug use next week. Same time, same place. Make sure you invite others to listen to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Have a blessed night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.